Good uh, evening, Nick. Evening, Mike. Uh, yeah, I'm most excited about continuing on with this conversation. Uh, except actually, we're not continuing on with it. We're going to do something different. Yay. Yeah. It's been a while since we talked about anything other than uh, the Church Fathers. Church Fathers. <laughs> but Andre's on holiday, so like we got to shake it up a little bit. So And Nick came up with this great idea. He was like, let's talk about something we've never thought about before. Let's, let's yeah. come up with this totally creative topic that has not mm-hmm. been beat to death. You know, let's look at it and uh, let's crack it. Let's solve it for forever. Um, and uh, that's what we do here at 2H Sojourner. So we're going to look at the subject of baptism. Done. Easy. Done. So, you know, I mean, today's a good day for you if, you, if you're listening in on this, because today is the day that you find out what's really going on with baptism. That's right. And uh, now here is where you hear why all other Christians are wrong except us. Exactly. And, um, and well, not just us. I mean, all Baptists, you know, are, <laughs> would, are right. Well, you know? All the Baptists that agree with us are right. Well, that's true. And, you know, and we'll see. We'll see that uh, no doubt this will, this will yield... Uh, a spectrum of views, and uh, we will see that actually, even you know, th- one of the things that's that's really great to see is that even if you decide one way or another on this debate, you realize, oh my goodness, there's still a a continuum of views to to choose on, and actually, you know, where do you even want to land within your own camp, and and so some of that will come out as well, but um, certainly we will determine truth from error, and yeah. uh, we will we will for we'll set the thumb line, and you can compare all other things against what we do in this mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. i mean we have been out of our wheelhouse for a while now you know with the yeah. with with the uh patristics for crying out loud uh, <laughs> <laughs> even growing in weird ways <laughs> really have had no idea what we we're talking about but you know have been working our way diligently <laughs> through some literature i think we nailed um, it me but yeah yeah i mean look i mean um i mean second time around you know, we, we're going to be that much better at it, you know, but at least we've, uh, we've given Everyone it a go. Be hanging out for that second time. Second time. We'll all come those back new on notes, it. all those new insights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, when we come to baptism, my goodness, this is the wheelhouse, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is, this is where we're at. And uh, Nick, uh, if you don't know, is a Baptist pastor, a reformed Baptist pastor. Yes, I did say reformed and Baptist at reformed the same time. And, um, and we are both, uh, I'm in Wellington, he's in Timaru, both in New Zealand, and we're both part of the Fellowship of Reformed Baptists in New Zealand. And um, so, you know, this is, we've all, every Reformed Baptist has had to bleed for his cause, you know, because obviously, you know, to use that adjective. Uh, yeah, we're not talking, dispensational, we're not Reformed, we're that perfect biblical medium. Yeah. Right there. Right there, it's just—it's just one of those uh, <laughs> moments of perfection in our theology where we're just perfectly balanced, and the world is falling all around us. But but at the end of the day, you know, we've had to work at this, right or wrong. We are uh, convinced uh, no one comes into the camp. That's one of the cool things about being Reformed Baptist. You you know, you look at everyone else in the eye, and they've all had to w- walk this thing big time. And uh, some of the guys have come from a Peter Baptist, um, you know, background, and sometimes even you know, were ministers. Other guys, uh, you know, have, have gone from a Baptist dispensational background over to the Reformed camp and become pedo-Baptist and then baptize the children and then come back uh, into the Baptist world, except now with the Reformed theology. So all these crazy stories. Um, I think uh, Fred Malone, for example, my goodness, he uh, flipped around a few times and half of his kids were baptized, half of them weren't, and then he wrote this massive book on it, all just to uh, talk about the, the, the kind of war that goes on as you try and figure this thing out. Um, I don't think that there would, you know, now at this point, not to um, speak too poorly of the the, the the Peter Baptist argument, but like, I don't think there would be a lot of, of that vexation and stress unless there was um, just this very historically nuanced, well-developed Peter Baptist argument that's taken hold over the years. I mean, you know, the, at the end of the day, it's sort of, it's been so hammered out and, um, I, you know, I just, I suppose my initial thought coming into all of this was, well, you know, I don't see it unless I knew covenant theology and in their particular, you know, slant, which in its, on its own was a learning curve. Um, I definitely wouldn't end up a Peter Baptist. And then, you know, once I've gone all the way through that covenant theology, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm sort of vindicated in my initial feelings there and that, I, you know, I probably, I, I don't even see that with that covenant theology, that there is anything there. 
So, but, but that's not to say it's a, it's a forceful argument. That's why they appear to have to surround. And um, even now, good brothers, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, we know, um, Kleinians, for example. Um, Klein was a, you know, my favorite Old Testament theologian, and he was a pedo-baptist. And, um, you know, every, pretty much every theologian we love is a pedo-baptist. So, you know, that alone, uh, you know, sets the playing field and shows you that it's, it's, it's hardly a, a simplistic sort of, um, you know, thing. You can't just, can't just uh, make light of the whole situation. It's obviously a serious argument. And men like that prove it. But that doesn't mean that you just surrender your brain to the super scholars. You have to work it through. And you have to look at it for yourself. And I don't know, for me, there's always just been a good solid anchor to keep me, you know, on some certain texts and we can talk about those. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you know, who knows how long we'll go on this. We just, you know, let's just start it off. Part one of a long conversation. I think so. Let's just keep it rolling. I mean, it's one of the things that, you know, we, uh, it's just, it's just one of those, just for the same reasons. It's a, it's an abiding issue. It's just always relevant pastorally for us. I wish it wasn't, to be honest. I wish it was. I would like to talk about other things, you know, um, at the end of the day. But I, yeah, I do like it because it forms a good segue into a lot of other theology, which is interesting, and you need yeah. to get right anyway, you know? I mean, so, baptism touches the doctrine of salvation, touches yeah. doctrine of covenant, touches doctrine of the church. You know, it's yeah. it's big. So in that sense, so it's... theology, Old and New Testament, it's, yeah. it's huge. It's not a primary doctrine, but it's, it's, you know, one of those doctrines that tends to be a hub for all the doctrines. So you just, it weaves its way right through there and it's fascinating and it's interesting. And, you know, to get stuck into the topic means you're into covenant theology. It means you're into ecclesiology and soteriology yeah. and all these things you've been talking about there. Um, so, you know, we thought let's do it because it'll take us through the things we're talking about anyway. Plus, you know, Nick or I uh, are constantly, you know, I mean, writing an email to someone or trying to convince <laughs> someone just because, because, you know, people are thinking about coming to our church and we're Baptists and they're coming from the reformed world. And, you know, that, that sparks off a massive discussion. It's just, it's just the constant really. Uh, at this point, I feel like I've gone through all of those arguments uh, ad nauseum, but, but um, they're always worth recapping. And just, um, you know, th- to be honest, I'm always on the lookout to see if, you know, I've taken a wrong turn somewhere. And, um, you know, as everyone I think should be, um, just to see, well, you know, the, you, you grow in your understanding and you, you, you know, there's, there's a massive possibility that you approach the thing in overly simplistic ways to begin with. And now you've deepened it out and now you understand. So it's always worth looking back, uh, from, from, for both sides. I think, um, I think a yeah. lot of the Presbyterian Peter Baptist uh, reform side, basically they're just, I think I see a lot of them just, just making, you know, straw man arguments or just kind of against all the dispensationalists or even now with the 1689 federalist thing you know they've got a nice neat category there so if it's not dispensationalism it's that and um and if they can just defeat one of those two things in their minds then they're they're, they're sorted but you know there are a lot of nuances in between and um you know i for so one how would you how would you characterize the view that we've sort of developed you know we're, yeah that's a great not, question non-dispensational um i would call it reformed baptist nailed it Good, like it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in, in light of the spectrum of modern beliefs, where would you situate it in relation to other things? Oh, we well, don't have any labels yet, so you're you're watching the formation of labels as we go ahead. This is a yeah. key moment. I mean, you know, I think, yeah, you're right because there have been some recent developments and, and important ones uh, with with um, Pascal. Deneau's book on 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 Peter on, on at least uh, the the sixteen eighty nine Baptist view, um, and when we say that we're talking about the actual you know the the view that most of them likely held you know and I think he's right on that and obviously uh, you've got some great guys working on that case Sam Renihan uh, Jim Renihan all those guys and so that's formed a sixty nine federalism thing that just wasn't really you know on anyone's mind you know only a few years back so you have to you have to come up with labels but i think there are also just enough reformed baptists both uh you know back in the day uh when we're talking strict in particular you're not even talking uh, reform but you're talking strict in particular so we got you know john gill we've got um you know spurgeon we've got john bunyan all those guys are basically yeah right i mean then they're not um you know they're not necessarily you know holding to a singular alternative view or anything like that they've all got nuances and they probably all have uh, adapted things in between but but the bottom line is you know i include those guys in the reformed baptist camp i mean it's not like 
it's not like I think of 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 Baptist covenant theology to be limited in any way to uh, you know those original framers of the 1689 or the theologians involved at some point there. I mean, certainly they could have held to a certain you know this this particular view that that people are getting into these days, and that's fine, you know. But it's just it's part of what I would see as a greater Reformed Baptist kind of category. Yeah. It's just not the definitive uh, view on every point. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just happy with Reformed Baptist, to be honest. I really don't know. Yeah. Plus, we've got all the, we, you know, for better or for worse, we do have all this, the 20th century Baptist, Calvinistic Baptist who are holding to the 1689. Yeah. So I'm, not, I'm trying to separate there the, the you know, the, the, the old 1689 Federalists from, you know, the, the resurgence. And, you know, you could critique them on how they came about understanding their theology. But at the end of the day, they're just theologians trying to work at it, you know, trying to graph baptism into covenant theology and see how it all works yeah. together. And they come up with a view as well. And they're certainly part of the the heritage now of, of you know, Reformed Baptists will certainly be thinking of it. Uh, I think I've just mentioned uh, um, uh, Fred Malone, uh, we're going to mention King George. He wasn't really a Reformed Baptist guy, but he came up with a good argument. And um, and so, yeah, all part of the pale, uh, in my opinion. So, well, yeah. Let me, let, me, let, me try this, let me try this on you. So yeah. let me tell you what we're not. Yeah. Okay, and you can see if, because if, we're trying to situate ourselves amongst a broader conversation amongst Reformed Baptists. Yeah. But we're probably not the brand of Reformed Baptists that you might be used to. So we're not New Covenant Reformed Baptists you know, who are Calvinistic, yeah. but who deny covenant of works. That's good. Great. Okay. We are not um, dispensational Reformed Baptists like John MacArthur. Right. You know, yeah. uh, we're yeah. not memorial view type Baptists like maybe a Wayne Grudem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would not be uh, 1689 Federalist Reformed Baptists. We believe that the Abrahamic covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. And... Um, what are the other types of Reformed Baptists we're not like? Yeah, I mean, um, I think maybe just to spin a positive side to that, I mean, basically, what here's how I've approached it and here's what keeps me sane on this stuff. Because often you'd be like, oh, well, you know, am I more aligned to this confession or that confession? But, you know, here's how you need to process this. And this is true even if you become a Presbyterian or a Reformed Peter Baptist. Uh, at the end of the day, you just have to... Um, you have to ask the big questions, right? You have to go, am I covenantal or dispensational? You know, uh, number covenantal. one. Okay. Yes, I'm covenantal. All right. Uh, am I, you know, Peter Baptist or Baptist? Well, I'm Baptist. You know, am I Calvinist or Arminian? Well, I'm Calvinist. Am I this or that? And you take those big categories and, you know, at the end of the day, at that level, we are 100% represented by the 1689 yeah. confession. And that's, that's just, you know, that's true. And it's also true. And we'll talk about this some more, I suppose, as we go, but it's also true that even with the un, um, uncovering of, of 1689 federalism, it's not that that view is represented in the confession itself. You know, you've got a, a wider um, uh, threshold, I suppose, um, yeah. in in the actual wording of the confession. So, you know, in that sense, I, I don't want to surrender the confession. You know, I, I, mean, I think the confession 100%. The beauty, the beauty of the confession is that, is that it's often a minimal form of statement that a lot of people with differences can subscribe to as they hold the main thing in common. Yeah. And as it was, I mean, I, yeah. I think I'm right. I think even Sam Rennie would agree um, that, you know, the, you had a whole bunch of uh, views. I'm pretty sure he, I remember reading his book a while back and I'm pretty sure there were a few that he outlines there that, that you know, they didn't hold to the 1689 Federalist position, which is, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes of the main position, you know, I'm happy with that. But there were others, and we see it again in these big figures all throughout. I mean, John Gill uh, certainly couldn't be easily categorized, uh, you know. And um, I, it's not that I'm saying I'm exactly in line with John Gill, but you know, there are things there that I see are, are out of sync with 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 the 1689 federal view. And he's there; he is right there, you know, close to that that early point. And and then, of course, you've got uh, John Bunyan, which I know the the six nine nine Federalists don't like, and they don't want him to be because he's messing up their ecclesiology and everything, and maybe even uh, you know a very loose subscriptionist. But but you know I, I would I would think he needs to be in there, and um, and so just a big tent reform baptism uh, Baptist uh, view, I suppose. Then the other thing. Um, you know, is obviously we're coming at it from a Kleinian perspective, but the thing is, like, I'm not. It's not that it's a Kleinian because, like, oh my goodness, I got a crush on Klein thing. It's Kleinian because you know, here you have a, a cutting edge covenant theologian, 
you know, who has really just, I mean, you know, regardless, I mean, Klein felt nothing to critique the Westminster, for example, and did and disagreed with it at many points. Um, the, the point is that you got to exegete a covenant theologian who's sharp as, as a razor coming along and really challenging a lot of covenant theology up until that point, taking the best of the tradition and highlighting it um, and, and moving the whole subject forward, you know, and just fine tuning. So, you know, whether you're a, a Peter Baptist or a Baptist, you've got to just look, you've got to look at that. You've got to incorporate those insights. So, you know, another way to think of where I'm coming from is even if I originally held to a 1689 Federalist position, I would feel the need to adapt some of that to some recent uh, you know, um, yeah. updates, I suppose, and recent scholarship um, that that is formidable. And really, I don't see, see anything that, that is um, answering it. So at least on the subject of, of uh, the covenant of grace and its administration and all of that, you know, even before you get to those issues of, you know, subjects and mode of baptism. Um, but yeah, it's so, you know, Baptist, Baptisterian. <laughs> Although when we tried that, didn't we? And people thought we were saying Baptist Aryans. <laughs> oh, that backfired. Baptist Baptist See, just that's that's just not pretty. <laughs> we will have no how followers. About, how about Claptists? <laughs> <laughs> I like it, Claptists. No, I don't. We have to stop that now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, yeah. Reformed Baptist. You know what I even like about the Reformed Baptist thing is I think we are probably a little bit closer to the truth of that meaning than perhaps a 60, 1689 Federalist does need to come up with an entirely different name, you know, because I think as you've seen a lot of the critique, like Scott Clark, you know, he's just going, listen, guys, that's cool. You know, you can, you can do your thing on this, but it's really, you're moving out of the reform camp now with this thing, just so you know, you know, the, this has been the thing that has held the reformed people together, the single overarching covenant of grace. You're kind of, you're bailing out on that. So, you know, and we can back and forth on some of the nuance there and, 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 you know, and what he was missing, but the bottom line, I think I take his point, you know, at the end of the day, maybe we come a little closer with our viewer, uh, at least our view to being, reformed baptist you know in that we are holding uh, to a that essential reformed idea yeah. in covenant theology and uh, are not letting that go um but catholic we end up, view of the, a catholic view of the covenant of grace whoa <laughs> catholic baptists <laughs> my brother would like that oh <laughs> uh, boy okay um anyways enough talk about labels um we thought, you know, I think Nick and I have both um, been impacted at one time. We, we both loved uh, Paul King Jewett's book, The Inf uh, Infant Baptism and the Covenant of Grace. Inf uh, infant Baptism? Or oh, I'm having a blank now. What is, what is the... I think I'll it is. I'll tell you now. <clears throat> I'm sure I'm right. Infant Baptism. I'm looking at someone's bibliography that doesn't have the title in it. So there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm pretty sure it's infant baptism in the covenant infant of grace. Infant baptism in the covenant of grace. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. My ticket didn't fail me. And, um, and, uh, that was just, uh, I mean, the guy ended up in a complete transmash theologically, uh, Paul King Joe, um, he was a, Hey, you got some thoughts there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a lecturer yeah. at Fuller, was he? I think he was at yeah. Fuller and, and he just went crazy. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like he, but I think, uh, posthumously they, they uncovered, that he was, um, you know, completely liberal. I mean, he had just denied every cardinal doctrine, essentially, at the end of it. So, of course, uh, I know the Presbyterians are looking at that going, see? See what happens when you go Baptist? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for touche, point taken. But on his, um, you know, in terms of his actual writing style, I do just love the way he wrote that. I mean, his writing style is amazing. It was such a gripping book for me. And, um, and I like the way it just, it just surveyed the history all the way through to, you know, just some of the more exegetical dealings. And, um, and it's been a while since I've read it, but I mean, that was, that was formative for me for sure. And, um, and, you know, just, uh, he was a guy who clearly understood things. He was a clever guy and he was able to, to articulate things very, very well. And, uh, as, um, as, uh, is often said, he was one of the first guys who came along and said, let's just 
let's approach this issue from a covenantal perspective. You know, even if it doesn't make everyone happy on exactly the nuance of covenant theology that I'm holding to, uh, still, you know, it's not dispensational. I'm not going, well, it's, you know, it's, it's the church, yeah. not Israel. So we're not, we're not, you know, we're not circumcising. Therefore, you know, which was pretty much all you had up until uh, those sorts of things, up until uh, Jewett's article, yeah. or at least a book. Uh, so we might look at that a little bit because we both love that book. Um, and uh, there are some great sections in it. But um, one of the other little articles floating around, it's pretty old. I don't know what the date is on it, but it would be old now. And um, it was written by Greg Welty. And, um, you know, it's a, it, a lot of people know it. A lot of people have, uh, have studied this uh, thing closely. I think he's helped a lot of people out in, in terms of condensing Jewett's arguments and adding some of his own. But a lot of people don't. They've never even heard of him because it wasn't a published article. I, I don't think. I hadn't and heard of him. You, you put me onto him a few weeks ago, yeah, or like a week ago. Crazy, yeah. and it's just a fantastic. I mean, I don't think I've read anything comparable. Really, it's just just a basic layout of like just good arguments. You know, it's just um, it might not be the a game case that you want to make, but it just it's got an, it's like a nice compendium of just yeah. you know here's where you want to look. And um, he just writes well, it's nice and clear, and it's a shortish article. And so I always recommend this to anyone, you know, as their starting point, um, uh, looking into the subject. There's more to say, of course, but it's a starting point. So go check it out. Um, uh, I'm not linking this to the show notes because that would be so diligent, and I'm just not that. So the, <laughs> the critical evaluation of Peter baptism, it's called, and it's written by Greg Welty. I guarantee you that the googly webs will find that for you if you just comes up it, straight away put it in number yep. one all right so you just read that recently it's been like a wild crocodile for me i mean honestly it's okay but you know so i can look at it i briefly look at the headings and it's sort of coming back to me but um but you've read it recently right yep definitely right. so give us a little overview what do you think okay so i mean he starts off talking about why he wrote it he went to westminster telling by his mdiv Westminster Theological Seminary, mm -hmm. and uh, he talks about how he was a Reformed seminarian, and he was surrounded by lecturers and students, and he really had to wrestle with the issue, and he came out a convinced Reformed Baptist. Yeah. And he talks about how Jewett did play into that journey for him. <clears throat> and what he does at the beginning of the article is he basically sets out uh, using Jewett's sort of framework that uh, non-dispensational Baptists assuming, uh, you know, that there is a covenant, an overarching covenant of grace and using tools of continuity and discontinuity, which all Peter Baptists use, you can still come out of Reformed Baptist in the end. Yeah. yeah. And um, he basically says that uh, the first part of the paper talks about the fundamental hermeneutical error of the Peter Baptists. And he, uh, he, he takes some of Jewett's language where he talks about how the Peter Baptists Judaize the New Testament mm -hmm. and Christianize the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. That they have this, you know, as they read uh, the whole Bible uh, in terms of its continuity and the overarching covenant of grace, mm -hmm. they tend to Judaize the New Testament and Christianize the Old Testament. Right. And um, so what he does is he, and uh, maybe a few illustrations of that, where he talks about um, external members of the covenant. Hmm. which is a reality in the Old Testament and that gets transported into the New Testament mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or covenant children, which is a reality in the Old Testament that mm -hmm. it Judaizes the new covenant. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and then uh, an example of Christianizing the Old Testament is where he shows how, um, you know, we read Abraham through Christian lenses when we say Abraham was a believer and all of his children were baptized. All of his mm -hmm. children were circumcised because he was a man of faith. Mm -hmm. And, that's Christianizing the account because as you go back to Genesis 17, where Abraham's family all get circumcised, whether they're adults or children, their faith is not, the faith is not mentioned at all. It's just every male among you must be circumcised. And it's so easy to Christianize that and make it all about faith when mm. there's, there's a much broader conversation and, and things that are going on there. Mm, mm, so mm. Uh, what he does at the beginning is he, he basically says that's the issue. Mm -hmm. They Christianize and they Judaize. And then he, 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 he highlights four key passages for identifying and exposing mm -hmm. um, that hermeneutical error. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. And Jeremiah, I see, is one of those, obviously. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then you got a few others. Uh, let me just say, um, you know, just thinking about hearing you talk again, I think um, 
I think, uh, you know, as has to happen in a, a summary article like this, or, you know, you just want to get to the point and this is what makes it so good. But, you know, I mean, I think just my awareness of Kleinian theology, for example, Klein, who was a, a pedo-baptist, certainly didn't, uh, well, if I think of certain covenant theologians in the reform camp, I could totally say amen to them uh, Judaizing the old, uh, the new and Christianizing the old, right? Uh, you know, just think of the mono-covenantalists and some of the, uh, some in the neo-Calvinist or theonomy camp, and um, and there you have it. I don't think you need much more uh, evidence than that. Um, but there are, you know, even what you realize is that I mean, whether you want to take it from a, a more Puritan versus kind of continental, or whether you want to take it from a you know Kleinian versus more Murrayan uh, perspective, you you basically you have quite a difference there in terms of the way they're approaching. Um, the old and the new Testament. And, um, I think, I don't think it's easy to say that Klein was doing that. You know, I think, I think he was along with, uh, Gerhardus Foss and, and those biblical theologians they had a profound sense of unfolding, uh, discontinuity, uh, and, uh, it's fine, final, uh, uh, fulfillments in the new covenant and even the consummation and that eschatology on the radar, you know, and they, they you see that come through in their theology. And uh, there are a lot of Presbyterians like that. And in fact, that's probably one of the reasons, as I've said uh, to Chris uh, Kahi a few times, one of the reasons that I feel like I was so drawn to Klein because, uh, you know, I felt like he was making my arguments for me at, at many levels. Yeah. And, um, and I, I do, I am aware of course, that he, himself was not crazy. I mean, he would have his own, uh, you know, argument, but even the way that he approaches it, I mean, I mentioned, mentioned uh, this a while back, but I recently, um, in reading through some theonomy literature, um, came across, um, uh, old article by, uh, he was actually a, he was actually a New Zealand minister, interestingly enough, but he was part of the theonomy camp where he had written for this theonomy, uh, uh volume, this, uh, basically this, uh, it was called, um, what was it called again? Um, the failure of Baptist culture in America or something, you know, and basically, uh, you know, it was edited by James Jordan and it had all the, the players in there, like, you know, Gary North and whatnot. Anyways, this guy was, was doing a, a, you know, trying to, trying to wrestle with, with Klein versus Murray on, 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 on infant baptism. So no one's denying infant baptism, you know, and yet you see the way he was just trying to, you know, bring these things together or at least compare them or choose, you just realize, I mean, my goodness, they're, they're, they're on different sides of the earth, you know, Klein and Murray on, on this question. Klein yeah. is, is, is basically undermining every argument that any pedo-baptist ever made. <laughs> you know, so if, <laughs> if he's right, you still get to be a pedo-baptist, but you get to, I mean, you're contradicting every other one of your Presbyterian brethren because he's taking a completely yeah. different angle. And, um, and that was one of the things that I remember that, kept me sane on the issue because you know so often you want to buckle to the pressure you just want to go hey, i just want to be part of the mainstream over here i'm just going to go peter yeah. baptist but then you realize you know you do that and and you're jumping you're jumping the in, like which kind all these other minor streams yeah. in it. which kind there is no mainstream it's, it's a myth you know you it's all it just keeps on going the there's just that level of continuity that that or at least a, le, a level of continuum at least you know the spectrum of views and, and really all you've done actually from if you're kind of where we are now and you flip over to Klein, you, you've made a practical change with the baptism thing that, that you know, granted, and it's quite a big one because you've gone over into a different color on the, on the, on the continuum wheel. But, but basically, you know, it's actually quite close, you know, in, in terms of the way we're arguing versus, I don't know, something more extreme like the, like the dispensational verse, I don't know, theonomy uh, approach. But anyway, yeah. um, all to say, uh, I think that that probably needs to stand as a caveat. And a lot of you'll see that come through. I think even Jeremiah, for example, like I, I would largely agree with everything Klein says on Jeremiah. Um, it's only because I bring in an already not yet understanding that's slightly different from his to bear on the way that that then rolls out in the new covenant, which we can talk about. But um, I think Jeremiah is certainly one of the things that got me grounded in the Baptist view. I think I've, I've viewed it as a linchpin text in you. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Now, let me see if I remember this right. He would essentially be arguing um, that you've got, you know, it's almost like that classic Baptist argument where basically you're comparing the old with the new, uh, the Mosaic covenant versus the new covenant. The one's breakable. The, one's, the one isn't breakable. 
Yeah. Um, you've got a very clear sort of difference there. All, there will be no external, all will know the Lord. Um, the, you know, the remnant is the, the entire thing. Uh, there's no sort of sense in which some will know, some won't. Um, what else does he say about it? Um, so, yeah, he basically says um, the new, co- new covenant is given by God to replace the old covenant and is unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Um, where he talks about how both covenants made with Moses and Ab- Abraham have aspects which show them to be breakable. Mm-hmm. So he quotes uh, Genesis 17, where it says to Abraham's offspring before Moses, if you're not circumcised, you will be cut off. So even though you're a child of Abraham and you don't receive the seal, there is a cutting off. So there's a breakableness uh, aspect to it. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 28 and 29 to uh, just uh, touch that up. I guess where you and I would want to nuance that because mm. we would agree with that basic statement. Mm-hmm. But I think we, uh, we, we would want to just sort of clarify and add to that saying yeah. it doesn't mean we're siding with 1689 Federalists who say no. that therefore this is a covenant of works. No. What we would want to say is we understand these covenants to be administrations of the covenant of grace, but there are typological aspects. Yeah, amen. And yeah. so therefore the way in which Abraham and his seed receive the sign is not normative for the new covenant because yeah. there's typology going on. Yeah. And that typology relates specifically to Adam and his offspring, that if Adam had fulfilled the covenant of works, his offspring would have been saved through his righteousness. Yeah. There's that, that federal principle which is coming through Abraham. Yeah. And here's a, here's a thought for you. Um, so it's redemption anticipated, not redemption accomplished, which is signs through circumcision, but baptism signs redemption accomplished. So, um, Mm. circumcision is suitable to type, um, the covenant of works, even though it's typology attached to the covenant of grace. It's very dense, but (laughs) Uh, it's 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 the stop sign analogy. Do you know the stop sign analogy? No, what's I like it. I think it's basically what you're saying there. Um, you know, when you're the difference between a sign and a symbol, almost. You know, that when you when you're um, circumcision is like a stop sign in that basically you're seeing something that needs to be done as you approach the stop sign. Right? It's a yeah. sign that points you to a future event, so to speak. Um, yeah, redemption uh, anticipated. Yeah. Right. Right. And um, and baptism is like a wedding ring. Uh, it's also a sign of, of of a wedding, except of course you you put it on after you're married, so it it, it points you back points you back yeah. to the thing that's happened. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so that's good. It, it's just uh, it's a much easier way to say what you just said there. No, I like mine better. <laughs> I mean, you sound cleverer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but um, yeah, so no, but, totally. But I think that's, Jeremiah that's really... anticipates that there will be a major development from the yeah. old to the new. Hmm. And it will be a covenant that does not result in God having to judge those in it. Yeah. And that needs to be realized in whatever definition of the new covenant that you have. And we understand the Baptist view to best uh, explain that. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the things that I think often takes, um, well, I think let's start off firstly with some good comebacks to this because, you know, Richard Pratt, I remember reading an article of of his a while back, but I think many since have um, written uh, really just, just throwing some good nuance on the text. I think just being doing a good job and saying, well, you know, yes, fine. You know, the new covenant's coming, but it's the, the covenant is the administration of the kingdom. The kingdom comes in three phases. It's inaugurated, it commences, it's consummated. So we have to understand the, the new covenant in similar ways. And um, we have to see this happening, you know, not all at once, but like, you know, like every prophet they're, they're seeing this prophetic foreshortening and, um, and they're seeing one big mountain range in the distance. And, you know, he's not giving us the nuances of the, of the inauguration, commencement, consummation idea. Um, and so it's up to us to, to kind of just make sure we're piecing that together with the New Testament. And so I like that. I think that's good. I think that's a safe approach. We must look at prophecy that way. Otherwise, you will get in trouble one way or another. And so I appreciate everything he said there. And, um, and certainly where you have Baptist arguments come along like this is the end of it. And they haven't dealt with that. I think you know it's a, it's a decent pushback. Um, the the thing I suppose, and I remember um, actually, if anyone wants to check this out, Sam Waldron has you know he's great because he's he's done a lot of stuff on eschatology. He's very well acquainted with uh, Murray and you know just Boss and all the guys. Yeah. And and uh, I just love the way he he writes and breaks things down very very clear. Um, and he's written a lot of a lot of stuff on amillennial eschatology that every uh, Peter Baptist, certainly of the Kleinian variety, would would love. 
Um, and so, um, you know, I think he has uh, done something good from what I remember. I don't actually have the book on me. I have got a scan copy somewhere uh, in my archives. Uh, but basically, uh, the um, this little book that you can get from the Reformed Baptist Academic Press, I hope they're still selling it because maybe they've revised it now with all the 1689 stuff going on. But but it was uh, it was called the Reformed Baptist Manifesto. And um, basically just the Reformed Baptist position against Arminianism, against dispensationalism, against it just compares and contrasts through all those things. And one of the things is uh, Peter Baptism. And I'm pretty sure from what I remember, um, Waldron deals with that very well in that book. But basically what he's saying is that, you know, one way or another, and this this was my takeaway anyway, he probably didn't argue exactly this way, but, but he was saying that, you know, at the end of the day, the already not yet side of things needs to play in to that. So fine, you know, let's say this is ultimately talking about the consummation. I got no problem with that. Everyone's going to know the Lord. No problem with that. It won't be breakable. No problem with that. But something has come in and something has yeah. happened already as a result of that. How does that look realized? Right. And, and, <laughs> How and does that so, look already? Now, I, I, would, I would agree 100% with any uh, Peter Baptist um, uh, critique of the Baptist view of, uh, regarding over-realized eschatology, because that's what they say, you know, you're, you're bringing this in too soon, you got to wait for heaven. I would agree with that if we're saying, you know, hey, we've, we've got this nailed, like everyone in our congregation is saved. And, mm. you know, that's our means of deterrent. We only include the elect and, and, and so forth. Um, but of course, we're not saying that. We're just saying, you know, I mean, really, for all intents and purposes, we are very much like Old Testament Israel. We own, you know, there's a mixed bag. We, you know, many will will uh, profess falsely, and many will be included that are unregenerate in the covenant community. But um, it's the way that we've chosen to to model this thing. You know, like, are we trying to model church off New Jerusalem, you know, as a reflection of New Jerusalem or of Old Jerusalem? Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I think he uses that exact contrast, um, as far as I remember. And if anyone's listening to this, they can maybe give me a text uh, or send me an email confirming that. But basically, uh, you know, that's what we are. I must have got it from him. But I, I think that um, you know that's something that they have not yet. I've not seen anything come back to that and say, "Well, here's why you're already not yet George Ladian sort of eschatology is off." You know, this is why, because that is, everything I'm hearing from the Peter Baptist side is that you know, for anything I care about anyway, certainly the Kleinian and Vassian variety, um, you know, they love that. They love the, the, the inaugurated aspect of eschatology. They do appreciate that everything about the Christian life is, is a foreshadowing, a foretaste even, not a foreshadowing, a yeah. foretaste of, of glory. And, um, and so it's an it's a important point, you know, just to, to put that out there and go, amen. <laughs> but, so but they're how, allowing it to shape the, the substance but not the form of the new covenant. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's the powers of the age to come that we experience, which is the substance. Yeah. But the form they're still saying is Old Testament, not New Covenant. Yeah. And that's where we are critiquing them. Man. And if you've ever read um, um, the the book that Klein wrote on baptism, right? Uh, it's uh, called By Oath Consigned, but it's just this great little book. Um, and he just, I mean, his whole, the whole thing is basically about this, this issue saying, um, you know, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, <laughs> my goodness, he's basically, he's ending the old covenant administration. He's ba- this is the word of ultimatum. You know, this is the, <laughs> this is like, all right, now listen, the only way you carry on. Do as or a people, die. This is yeah, it. Last chance. Right. Acts at the root. I mean, this is yeah. the only way that you basically carry on is if you submit yourself to the judgment of the suzerain, right? You gotta, you've got to now enter into this, 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 baptism which which is the curse of this of the covenant you know and um and and the only way that you're going to come out of that unscathed is if christ gets baptized you know what i mean like (laughs) which which he does and if you get into that you're good you're in and you continue on as the church but everyone else like and and just i mean think about how powerfully that syncs with you know everything jesus said who are my brothers who are my who is my mother you know it's it's this is the church is where the family is now and and that's not obviously underplaying the the common grace order of of, of remaining family and ameliorative effect of, of of the cultural mandate, 
But, um, you know, in terms of the kingdom, which, I mean, I don't know of any, any theologian more than Klein who just nailed the idea that the kingdom is the new creation. You know, the kingdom is, it's not anything we do in this earth, you know, and uh, it's only by regeneration, only by being born again. So, I mean, all of those ideas just come to bear forcefully. I mean, everyone agrees that in heaven that will be consummated, but how should we go about administering you know, yep. the, the, the household of God <laughs> in light of these realities, surely we would require someone at, at, at least to profess to repent and, yeah, and, and to believe. I mean, if you look at the fact that uh, Jesus appoints 12 apostles, so you have yeah. 12 tribes of Abraham, 12 tribes of Israel, through which if you are born into them, born to them, you're, you're in. But now there's the 12 apostles. Yeah. We're given a great commission and a message yeah. that, that people hear and believe and then they're baptized yeah. It's a different entrance. Different entrance. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, it's the old, it's the old idea, you know, uh, God's, God was making for himself a physical people, you know, and it contained within it, the spiritual people and pointed to the spiritual realities, the eschaton. But now God's creating for himself the fulfilled, you know, uh, people, at least, or at least the shadows have fallen away. If nothing else, that's all we're saying. You know what I mean? That the scaffolding, the typology has fallen away. It's, it's, it's semi-eschatological. It's not yet heaven. We all get it. But yeah. in light of the fact that the scaffolding's fallen away, surely, surely that we don't need to yeah. bring in this whole thing. Now, what to, to do justice to, I mean, like I haven't even gone, let me just put, I know many Kleinians will be listening to this on the edge of their seat you know, murmuring, hate, <laughs> hate, you know, uh, terrible things in me right now. But, um, you know, and I realized Klein, Klein is coming in with this whole different angle and he's going, all right, now. I think now. if Klein lived long enough, he would have become a Baptist. Of course, of course. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Same as John Owen, isn't well, it? Well, what do you mean? Become, he is a Baptist now. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but um, you know, he, he came in with this whole idea of uh, the household authority principle. And so the, the, he used, you know, almost the same background and reasoning that brought him to this idea of um, of uh, the, the vassal and the suzerain and submitting to the covenant judgment. He took another angle and, and brought in this idea of, of, of parental authority and whatnot, um, which, which, you know, for me, it's funny. I mean, it's like a good, it's like a good argument and it, it makes sense and all that. It's just that it's not connected to the covenant system at all. You know, it's like it. I, it's I honestly, like cultural borrowing that God sanctions. It's, it's yeah. just yeah. It's just doing something. I mean, it's a great argument, but it's just another thing. It's like another another tag on. I always describe it to people this way. It's like I feel like this with Kleinian theology or just covenant theology. You have this beautiful engine, and one of the things that's so profound about it is the way that it just works together. Every part in the engine does something, you know, and uh, and then you and then when I read about. Like Klein's, I mean, dude, the guy got the engine right. He's just, he's just nailing every part of that engine. And then there's this like weird piece of dental floss that's just been like, you know, tied to one of the the, the, the little piston or exhaust pipe or whatever, and it's like dangling this other little screw or bolt or something, you know, to the engine. And and it's just like it's dangling along and it's just slowing the whole thing down. And I see that as just, you know, this whole separate, the last chapter in By Earth Consigned. It's just this weird little dangle. And, um, and you know, it's it's it, I think if you glue it in, in fact, one of the comments that I remember um, Welty makes is that, you know, he, he critiques the... Peter Baptist, the household baptism thing. He's like, well, you're not even doing that. You know, you're not even baptizing your whole household. So there's yeah. that. And I know Klein on, on his authority principle will go, you yeah, know, we should be. <laughs> you know, he, he's just like, all right, well, let's just do that. So at least, you, you know, you give him 10 out of 10 for consistency. And then Klein, uh, at least um, Welty brings out another point as far as I remember where, um, you know, you got that halfway covenant problem where it's like, okay, well, what about your children's children? And what if the, what if there's a matriarchal... Because it's to the third or fourth generation, because... Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you know, got Abraham, essentially. And yeah. what about, what about the matriarchal, at least patriarchal situation? Yes. Um, you know, do wealthy, you... That's where Wealthy says they're Christianizing the Old Testament. So they're not actually allowing it to say what it says, but they sort of, they make it about the children of believers and not the yeah. slaves of believers and every male of the adult unbelieving male of the household of believers and right. all right. of the other stuff. Yeah. And I, I've heard, you know, various arguments saying that, well, we, we adjust it, you know, according to what we're seeing in the new Testament and so forth. But, you know, then it gets complicated for them. 
you know, <laughs> it's not quite as beautifully simple as it was before. And um, yeah. it reminds me a little bit of theonomy when, you know, basically like the theonomist comes out full guns bla- blazing where they're like, listen, all we want to do here is take the Bible seriously. That's all we want to do. We just want to apply everything Moses said, <laughs> you know, and, and then except for the ceremonial law. And it's like, oh, okay, now we're not doing that. Now we're not applying everything Moses said. Now it gets complicated because now we have to figure out what we're applying, what's ceremonial, what's not ceremonial. And it just like, it all comes across initially as this beautiful, we baptize our kids because Abraham circumcised his kids. That's all we want to do. That just sounds so neat. I think I'm going to become a Peter Baptist. (laughs) Exactly. And then you just ask the next question and it just unravels. It gets complicated. And I think the complication, you know, one of the things I, I like to mention as well is that um, you know, because one of the big things is, well, hey, what about the church? You know, I mean, the church has done this. We've got this, obviously, everyone looks at church history. The Peter baptism has been the thing. No one's denying that. Um, so you, there's, again, this lure to simplicity, you know, just, okay, just do what the church has always done. And it looks good. And I, I must admit, I feel the, I feel the, you know, the so pull. Don't until your deathbed? Well, exactly. And then you just start looking a little closer. <laughs> You know, I mean, of course, we would want to do what the church has always yeah. done, but like the thing is, that's not true. Number yeah, one, baptized naked after two years of catechism. <laughs> no one wants to do that now, but uh, <laughs> but but also, even even if it was true that you just had the single sort of like version of baptism, um, in, at least in practice and praxis, um, you know, if you just look at it, just unravels again at the theology. I mean, no one has been thinking the same thought about baptism in the history of the church other than the sacerdotal view, perhaps, which had its most consistent run. But as soon as you get to the Reformation, I mean, my goodness, everyone has a different rationale for why we baptize kids. You ask the question, what does infant baptism, what what does baptism do for the child? You know, just ask that question and the amount of answers you'll get back that are contradictory to each other. They're not just complementary, but they contradict each other. Um, you know, that alone is cause for concern. You know, that's, that, that means the whole argument folds in on itself. It throws right back at anyone who's trying to say, hey, I'm going at this thing because it's simple. It's, it's, it's a continuity there. It's, it's not, it's not true. It's a myth. It's a vapor, you know, just, just shake it off because it's not there and then deal with the real thing. Uh, once you've, once you've looked at that, I think for me personally, what is your, what do you find most compelling about the Peter Baptist argument? Do you have, have you, is there anything that nearly got you over the line? Well, I think I think they're, like you say, the overarching covenant of grace structure. Yeah. You know, just saying there are different administrations of one covenant of grace. There was a real, you know, where the dispensational was chopping and changing. Yeah. And, you know, there was just this huge, you know, this, this, this era was governed by this way of doing things, and then God became a different God who did it this way and then this way, whereas they had just this one, one way to get born again, one, you mm-hmm. know, one one experience of salvation and um you know it's it's homogenous it's neat mm. It, mm. it's it, it, it appeals because it's easy to teach yeah so i mean yeah yeah, yeah. that's true and um you know maybe what we should say as well is that you know, we, we um, I mean, I suppose just mentioning that point is relevant because that's something we're holding on to. Uh, I feel like that's still there in my view, 100%. And that's uh, one of the appeals, I think, of, of, of the covenantal view. I, I wouldn't want to get rid of that. But, you know, we rag on 1689 federalism and some versions of it. I think I've heard some people talk about it like, you know, I'm just looking at that thing. Like, I just want to smack it. That's all I want to do with it, you know. But yeah. there are other more nuanced versions where, you know, even when they talk about the retroactivity of the covenant of grace and the covenant of grace, I mean, if you boil all of it down and you get rid of all the weird semantical adjustments, I mean, they're saying that the new covenant happened and what Jesus did in the new covenant gets applied throughout. I mean, isn't that exactly what we're saying? You know, at the end of the day, everyone's just <laughs> saying that, you know, and it just sometimes it just, you know, gets lost in the whole thing. And then what you're arguing about is what happened with Abraham exactly. But no one's denying that it's still one big thing. And so you've got to almost yeah. step back every now and again and put it all into perspective. But I agree with you. When you have those chop and change kind of theologies where, and if 1689 federalism ever says, no, you know, anything like dispensationalism, where it's just, you know, this is one thing, this is another thing and destroys the unity. That's why I get, I get mad because, you know, the yeah. unity is there and the unity is one of the most glorious pieces in the, in the Bible. It's, it's this evidence of, 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 of the glory of Christ and, and even the, the inspiration of the scriptures. So I think to, to, to start messing around with that is, is bad. 
Um, not to mention the way it, it sort of removes some of the lead up to the gospel. You know, you end up truncating the gospel in the small little, you know, part of your Bible as if, as if it just sort of like was plan B happening at that point. Um, so in the 1689 Federalists aren't doing that. So I just need to point that out. Um, but some of the wording is just, I don't know, unhelpful. Um, anyway, but they would say that about me and my wording. So <laughs> let's also just be fair at that. Um, okay. I mean, John is another one. Romans is another one. I don't know if we should get into tonight. Uh, we've rambled a little bit. <laughs> Because uh, I think we're sitting. We should like, do a part two on Welty because we just basically covered his page two. <laughs> we didn't cover Welty at all. <laughs> Wait, I think page three. There's only it's only twenty two pages. It's a short yeah. article to read. Yeah. people yeah. should read it. I think it's quite helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's come back at it. We'll do it, do it some more. If anyone's asking what's happening with um, the 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 Waltz through church history. Um, we're still doing that. Just relax. It'll be cool. I realize you. I realize you want our special specialty, our our expertise on that one. I realize we're not we're not leaving you hanging. Um, yeah. But we'll just shake it up a little. We'll maybe do both. You know, we'll just see how much time we have, and we'll just alternate or something like that. So work with us, um, and hopefully this is enjoyable or enraging. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I very much enjoyed it too, Nick. <laughs>